0: Welcome to Theology for the People. This week's episode is based on an article I wrote over on my website, nickkatie.org, which is the Theology for the People blog site, where you can go and you can find not only the article that this episode is based on, but you can find a lot of other articles based on different things regarding theology, but also on the site there, there is a form that you can fill out if you'd like to ask a question or suggest a topic for the podcast or the blog. So I encourage you to check that out, nickkatie.org. And stay tuned until the end of the episode. We have some great information for you about the upcoming Calvary Global Network Conference, which is taking place in California, June twenty eighth through July 1st, and also online for those of you who aren't able to travel. Hope you'll tune in for that, and we'll see you at the end of the episode. Did you know that the book of Esther never mentions God? Did you know that whereas almost every Old Testament book is quoted in the New Testament, the book of Esther is not? Did you know that the Dead Sea Scrolls contained copies of every Old Testament book except the book of Esther? The book of Esther tells the story of a Jewish girl in Persia who becomes queen and uses her position to save the Jewish people from an attempted genocide. This story is the basis for the Jewish holiday of Purim, a holiday which is not prescribed in the law of Moses. These facts, along with the lack of corresponding historical records, which would corroborate the events talked about in the book, have led many people to question not only whether Esther is historical, but whether it belongs in the Bible at all. Martin Luther, for example, criticized the book of Esther, accusing it of being too aggressively nationalistic and containing no gospel content. It isn't only Christians who are divided over the book of Esther. Jewish congregations are also divided over whether Esther is a true story or a fable and whether it belongs in the canon of scripture. For example, the Orthodox Union denomination of Judaism considers Esther historical and canonical, whereas the true assembly or the assembly of true Israel, another Jewish denomination, they consider it neither historical nor canonical. So let's consider the relevant question First of all, is Esther historical? The book of Esther focuses on a 10-year period from 483 to 473 BC in the Persian Empire during the reign of Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes. The book contains several historical, chronological, and cultural details which would lead us to believe that it is intended to be read as actual history rather than as a parable. As in the case of Jonah, specific historical and geographical details are characteristic of historical narratives, not of allegorical stories like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. In Esther chapter 1, verse 1, we read an accurate description of the extent of Xerxes' empire. In chapter 1, verse 2, we read about the location of the seat of the Persian government, and in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read that in the third year of his reign, Xerxes gave a banquet for all his officials and servants, including the army of Persia and Media. The reason this is important is that it coincides with the accounts of the historian Herodotus, which tell us that Xerxes' second invasion of Greece took place from 480 to 479 BC, which means that this great gathering mentioned in Esther, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which verse 4 says lasted for 180 days, is likely describing the preparation for that military invasion of Greece. According to Herodotus, Xerxes began his return to Persia after his defeat by the Greek navy at Salamis at the end of 480 BC. The dismissal of Queen Vashti described in Esther chapter 1 would correspond to this timeline having happened just before Xerxes' departure to Greece, and his encounter with Esther would have happened just after his return. Herodotus claims that Xerxes sought consolation in his harem after his defeat at Salamis, which corresponds with what the book of Esther describes and the time when Esther would have become queen. Despite the clear historical setting, no outside sources exist which tell us about Esther becoming queen or about the killing of 75,000 Persians. However, it seems that the author's intent is to relay historical events, and while corroborating sources don't exist, the same is also true of other historical accounts, including those of Herodotus. Thus, there doesn't seem to be any evidence which would lead us to believe that Esther is not a historical account. And where historical accounts from this period do exist, they line up with the historical, cultural, and geographical details that Esther gives. The next question we could ask is, why is Esther in the Bible if it doesn't mention God? Esther was recognized as scripture by the Jews before the time of Christ. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that the Jewish scriptures were written from the time of Moses until Artaxerxes. Therefore, Josephus understood Esther to be the last book to be written in the Jewish canon. In the Christian church, Esther was listed among the books of the Old Testament canon at the Council of Carthage in 397 AD, but it was widely accepted by Christians as being canonical long before that because of its inclusion in the Jewish Old Testament canon. Although God is not named in the book of Esther, God is certainly not absent from the story. Just like in the story of Joseph, Esther is a story which highlights the providence, or rather the invisible hand of God, at work in the world, ordering and ordaining events to happen according to his divine plan. Many scholars believe that the absence of the word God from Esther was not a mistake, but was actually an intentional literary device aimed at focusing attention on the importance of human initiative and divine providence. The sheer number of coincidences in the book of Esther beg the reader to take notice of the invisible hand of God at work to bring about salvation and justice. The next question is, does Esther contain any gospel content? Well, contrary to Martin Luther's claim that Esther does not contain any gospel content, the story actually contains very many foreshadowings of the salvation which Jesus would bring. Consider, for example, the basic elements of the story. There is an enemy of the people who wants to kill and destroy them. God raises up a Savior at just the right time who uniquely has access to the throne of the great King, who alone can save the people from this impending doom. This Savior, at risk to herself, enters into the throne room of the King and intercedes on behalf of her people, thus securing their salvation." The evildoers, who throughout the story seemed to be acting unencumbered, They now receive the pronouncement of judgment from the king. Furthermore, we see how the evil Haman desired to be treated as royalty, even though he was not. In this, we have a contrast with the one who was indeed royalty, but who set aside his privileges in order to become a servant so that he might save us. Of course, I'm speaking about Jesus and referring to Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 11 and Matthew 20 verse 28. Finally, we see in Esther an example of God's faithfulness to his covenant people. So in conclusion, because of the scarcity of historical accounts and the lack of thoroughness of those which do exist, it would be unwise for us to assume that this story is not historical just because we have not yet found other accounts which corroborate certain aspects of the story. The fact that some parts of the story do have corroborating historical evidence and accounts should give us confidence that Esther is a historical story about actual events, which ultimately are part of the picture and foreshadowing of the great Savior who has now come, Jesus Christ, who entered into the throne room of God to make intercession for us so that through him we might be saved from the great enemies of our souls.
1: The theme of the 2021 CGN International Conference is The Way of Jesus. This past year has presented challenges that transcend society and culture, but it didn't change the mission of God to rescue His alienated creation via the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we press into the Way of Jesus, we want to approach culture the way that Jesus did. Concepts like human dignity, justice, wisdom, and power are at the forefront of conversations in our culture like never before. are we understanding and engaging in this dialogue from a worldly definition of these ideas or do we operate according to the model, message, and method that Jesus gave us in the Gospels? Joining us this year as we dialogue about the way of Jesus are Gavin Ortland, author and missiologist Alan Hirsch, John Jenkins, pastor of First Baptist Church in Glenarden, Maryland, author and YouTube host Beckett Cook, missionary and Bible College director Pam Markey, and many more. Sessions will feature live dialogues and Q and A's with the speakers and our interactive in-person and online specialized training tracks focus on various aspects of ministry leadership including the posture of the church in an age of hate, the way of Jesus in a sexually broken culture, spiritual health for spiritual leadership, women in the way of Jesus and more. The CGN International Conference will be online and in person at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa from June 28th through July 1st. Registration is open to pastors, church leaders, lay leaders, volunteers, men, women, anyone called to serve Christ and his kingdom. To register and for more information, visit our website at conference.calvarychapel.com. That's conference.calvarychapel.com. We hope to see you there.